morning. <laughs> morning, Vic. <laughs> I've missed that. <laughs> it's good to be. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be anywhere, really. To be quite honest, <laughs> after being locked up at home for well, what seems like a lifetime. Um, but Yvonne and I are a lot better, as um, as you probably can see. But um, yeah, we, we were quite quite taken by surprise after both having our injections that we ended up getting COVID and we were quite poorly with it. So hence we've um, kind of gone with a few uh, slackening of some restrictions within the church, but not all of them. Um, so if, if while I'm preaching, you don't forget to wear your mask, that's fine. If you do, that's also fine. However you feel comfortable with that. But for those who have said, we won't come if we've got to wear masks, you don't have to wear them while you're preaching. You can sing, but preferably with masks on. So just want to um, share, yeah, which again is still awkward, but still there you go. Uh, Matthew 6 verse 25 asks a question or makes a statement, I should say. Jesus is talking in his, one of his sermons and he says, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? So, as, as I've been sort of lying there um, at home, philosophizing about life and uh, questioning lots of things, um, this kind of message began to birth in me, and so I, I've called it Spirit Gives Life to Dust. That's the title of this little talk, which might be little, it might be long, it depends. As I came this morning to print off, and the printer decided to run out of ink. So I've, I've got a kind of half and half version of some ink, some not ink. So, spirit gives life to dust. Every living thing has a source of life. And mankind has never been able to produce or reproduce this source of life. We know that life exists, everything has life. Trees, plants, birds, humans... And, but we don't know how to create that very thing that is the life in these things. Every tree, every animal has this spark within it which gives life to every living thing. Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2. So I'm going to have to, where I've got it all written down on my uh, Bible, I've got, uh, on my notes, I will have to read it because I can't read all the writing. But Genesis 1 says this, God creates the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The definition or description of what the earth was like was that it was without form and void. 
Now, both of those words have a very similar meaning. It means that it was wasteland, it was desolate, it was worthless, it was empty, it was a nothing, or it was a wilderness. So the earth that existed before then God comes in and begins to speak, existed but without life, without form, and was void, which means the same thing. It means it was in ruin or it was empty. And it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over this emptiness, this nothingness, this lifelessness. The Spirit of God was hovering over that. Question. Genesis then says this, in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. What is this light? What is this light? Look at Genesis 1 verse 14. So this is Genesis 1 verse 3, let there be light. But Genesis 1 verse 14 says this, Then God said, Let lights be in the firmament, in the heavens, to divide the day from the night. Let there be a greater one and a lesser one, the sun and the moon. And that's the end of the fourth day. So the first day God says, let there be light. But it's on the fourth day when he creates the sun and the moon. So what is this light that is created on this first day? If it's not the sun, if it's not the moon. So I have to take you now to a verse in John chapter 1 and read some of these verses to you. What is this light when God said, let there be light, and there was light, what was that light that God brought into being that day? John chapter 1 verse 1 begins like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is talking about Jesus, by the way. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without, without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light that came into being was the life of man, which is Christ. Christ became the light that brings life to all living things. Everything is alive that's supposed to be alive. Trees, birds, plants, seeds, atoms, the whole thing. But the light that gives life to all of those things, Jesus is called. He is the one who is the light that gave life to all those things. Now, you may wonder where I'm going with this, but I'm going somewhere very important with it. Because, okay, my mortality came into question this week. And I'm sure many people's mortality has come into question this week. Is that all what life is? Is life just about what we eat, what we drink, how well we are physically? Or is there something that is more than that for all of us that is actually the life that we have? Man was made from dust. Remember the darkness that was all over the face of the earth. Genesis 2 verse 7, and I'd better read this to you as well. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, God formed man 
out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I apologize if I sound like I've got a cold. That may be with me for some time, uh, apparently, but I'm fine, just in case anybody is concerned. You might not be, but anyway. God formed man out of the dust and breathed into it. Spirit gives life to dust. What, what do we hear at all the funerals we've ever been to? Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. From dust we came to dust we will return. So what makes us human isn't the dust. What makes us alive isn't the dust. It's whatever life came into that dust and brought us to life. And the Bible tells us that that was a spirit, the spirit of God. He breathed the life of the spirit into dust and it became a living being. In everything, this spirit life exists. Now, you can get to talk to some people who will take this a little bit further in their conversations and they'll say, yes, we know that all the spirit, there's spirit in the trees and the spirit in the rivers and the spirit. Well, I know they're having sort of a, a thought about it in, in a certain direction, but there's some truth in what they're saying in the sense that this same spark of life, which no one seems to be able to reproduce, is in all things. Because God said, let there be light. And that light was the life that has come to all things. Now, this is where I've, I've lost sort of some printing here. So <laughs> just give me a second. Oh, yeah. So it's the spirit that gives life. So after, this, this is a little bit of a detour, detour into my own journey of life now. So I trained to be a counsellor. And the world is very interested in how human beings work. And so I have, after four years of training and on a counselling course, we revisited something which many of you may have heard of, some may not. A... A gentleman called Maslow invented something called the hierarchy of needs. You may have heard that of that phrase, you may not have heard it. Many people have today because it's something everybody now thinks, yeah, it's really important. And Maslow was, was actually a Christian and he had an insight into things that, that was beyond natural thinking. But the stuff that he did apply that was natural thinking, everybody got on board with. And he invented this thing called the hierarchy of needs. And he said that the basic need of man is physiological. We need water, we need food. That's the first level of the hierarchy of needs that we all have. We need to be alive, we need to have food and water. That's number one. The second one was safety. So we need a roof over our heads, somewhere to stay, somewhere to keep warm. And he goes through this list and he comes to the next level of his things, which he calls belonging. And he says, we all need love, we need relationships, we need friends. He's saying that all of these things are our basic needs that we have. But he's moving up this sort of dimension of man, and he gets to this next level, and he calls it um, esteem needs. And this is where a person needs to feel accomplishment, that sense of achievement, you know, there's something more to life than just existing and, and eating and, and having a roof over your head there's, and, and having friends. It's like 
that we've actually achieved something, you know? But then he comes to the highest of the things. And, and, and this, what I'm saying to you now, goes across psychology and across counselling techniques all around the world. They see these things as the development of humanity. But something happened. They get to the last of uh, the highest of the things and they call it self-actualization. And this is achieving your full potential and creativity. So now you've gone beyond just achieving something and now you are contributing to the world. He, he then called it something else. And after four years of training as a counsellor, and by the way, we'd covered Maslow and his hierarchy of needs previously on this course. There's four weeks left on the course and we're handed out another piece of paper with his hierarchy of needs on and we're all going, we know this, you know, like students are. You know, we all know about this. And his last one, he changed to calling self-transcendence. So I'm reading this, and by the way, if you don't know, uh, and I've not mentioned this many times before, but being a Christian on a secular counselling course can be quite controversial because I see things from a different perspective. Got told to get out of many classes because I disagreed with some of the things that were being shared. However, we get to this four weeks before the end of the course, and Transcendence is what he now calls the highest achievement of man. And he says this, when a person moves past themselves as an individual and focuses on the spiritual connection that exists. My hand went up in the class. Four weeks before the end of the course, I asked this question, why have we left it to the end of four years to mention the spiritual dimension of man. And this was the answer that came back, because we don't understand it. Well, that's what I'm here to sort of try and explain very briefly this morning. Dust as its life from this very spirit that we don't know anything about. And we're very happy to explain to people how they work physically, how they're biologically and chemically working. We're very happy to explain people how your mind has these different ways of reacting and you've got a creative side and you've got, you know, um, thinking side and you've got reactions that happen in your brain that shut down this part of it. And we're able to explain so much how the body works and the mind works. But when it comes to the thing that gives all that life, which is spirit, we have no idea. So I'm here to try and do that for us this morning. Okay, thank you. And now we're in this culture where health and the physical being is... is is held up so highly. That's why I read that verse at the beginning. Is food what the thing is all about? Well, those of us who like curry and chips, maybe it's a big deal. <laughs> but is that really life? You know? So you have the other people that who go on the health 
you know, uh, trips. And, and so it's like at the gym and they're building their body up and they're getting themselves ripped and, you know, they're looking health, out running for 20, 30, 40 miles and like, that is there, you know, I feel alive when I'm like this. Is that what life is? Food and exercise. And so we develop the mind and we say people can be some, be some you know, like professors and, and, and absolute geniuses and understand things. And we, we have people who are good at this and good at that and good at the other. And is, is that life? All of those things? I tell you, when I was lying in my bed with, I was going to say Hovis. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's Tim and Elizabeth's rabbit then, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> with COVID, when I was lying in bed with COVID, I didn't care about eating. I didn't care about, you know, reading and how clever I was. like, I just want to be alive. I just want to live. There's more, much more interest, though, in our world of exploring, even now, what I'd say, the unknown. There is more interest in a spiritual dimension. But because that interest comes from ignorance, in other words, we don't know what it is. Four years of training, the reason we've not talked about the spirit is because we don't understand it. Now the people who don't understand it are trying to tell us about it. Great. I don't think you have the right understanding of what the spirit is. Man was made fully alive when God breathed into him. The spirit gave life to the flesh and the soul. This is what really happened when God created man. Now this bit, I'd like you to listen to carefully. Because you might think to yourself that you're alive because you're breathing. You might think to yourself you're alive because you can taste, touch, feel and see things. You might think you're alive because you have the ability to communicate to other people. What I want you to understand is we as humans are nowhere near as much alive as we were created to be. What we've done is we've accepted this physical life that we have as being the full expression of life. But when God created Adam and Eve, there was another dimension to Adam and Eve, to humanity, that existed because of the Spirit. Let me try and explain it to you this, this way. Adam and Eve could see God. Can anybody here see God? Physically see him? No. We believe he exists, those of us who are Christians. And we believe that he exists and we see him move and do things like people might get healed and we say, oh, that's God at work. That's fine. But how many of us can see him? Well, Adam and Eve could. Part of their being alive in the spirit was that they could see the unseen realm. They could see angels. They could see demons. That's why it was no shock to them that they were talking to the devil at the tree. You know, I'd, I'd think to myself, wouldn't you think to yourself, you're walking through the, the you know, I, I do like watching the nature programs, you know, with the lions and the hyenas and all of that, like, and sometimes they'll have one about snakes, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm walking through the jungle and a snake pops out and goes, hey, how you doing, man? 
I'd be a little bit concerned. Why were they not concerned? Because they could see that realm fully. It was, it was open to them. So this devil was not some kind of surprise to them. They were engaging with what they were fully alive to. They could see the light. You know what I said earlier? What was this life? It's called the light of men. This light, they could see it in all the trees. What we've got now is people who can go, I'm sure there's some in the trees. You know, there's like a, a sense, an aura, uh, you know, and, and we don't know how, what words to put to it, you know, but people say, look, you can feel something about the water, you know, there's like, and they say there's a spirit in them, there's a spirit in the trees. But what it is, is the same life that was born in them, was put in us, was light. And so Adam and Eve could look at a tree and they could see the light that's the life in that tree. They could see it. Their eyes were alive spiritually to everything that was spiritual. They could hear the, the, the spiritual realm, angels singing, God speaking, the devil speaking. They could hear in that realm so clearly. And they themselves were involved in that realm. Now, of course, I'm saying that to all of us who are sat here going, that's all poppycock, because we don't see any of that. We don't feel any of that. Uh, you're telling us that all that exists. Well, I'm saying it all exists. And Adam and Eve could see it all. They were made that way. And I would call that being fully alive. Being aware of your body and that it's breathing and that it's, it's well and it's strong or whatever, that's one level of awareness that you're alive. That's great. Being aware of your mind and how it works and how you're different to the person next to you and how you think differently, that's one level of awareness. But we were designed to be fully aware of God and of heavenly things. And that's where Adam and Eve fell. Now, some people have a problem with this, so I'm going to just explain this to you as well. I've put down here they rebelled or chose to act independently of God. But what they really did was they chose to make the flesh and the soul or thoughts and feelings more important than the spirit. That's a really important point for me to make right now. When Adam and Eve were presented, look what happened in Genesis 3, verse 6. The devil comes and he tempts them. But this is what the woman said about this tree. When she saw the tree was good for food, what have I read at the beginning? Is food life? What did she do? When she saw the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, and it was desirable to make her wise... She took of it. When she got to the place where she responded from her physical and her mental as the reason for life, she forfeited the spiritual dimension. And the same with Adam. They said, we don't want... Do you know there were two trees in the garden? And the other one was called the spirit, the tree of life. The tree of life. They forfeited the tree of life, which is the spirit for the tree of the flesh. And when they did that, God said, the day you eat of that, you're making a choice. You're choosing the, oh, the flesh and the mind over the spirit. You're choosing to walk away from 
the life source. And that's what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. They were disconnected from the life source. They, uh, and, and although we, we sort of have God appearing on the scene many times, after this through the scriptures, man no longer saw him, except in visions and dreams. They no longer had this vis visible um, sight, sight of him until Jesus came. And then he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. So he saw him. He could see the Father. He was reconnected to that bit of the spirit was where the life is. So humanity died spiritually, lost its connection with the unseen, with God, with the light of life, with the spirit. There's a strange thing that happens when people who become Christians and believe in Jesus or as the Bible puts it, become born again of the Spirit of God. There's a strange thing that happens to people. If you're in this room or you're listening on um, Facebook, maybe you might fit into this first category. Before people become a Christian, before they believe in God, they find it all very strange. And sometimes they think it's ridiculous. Sometimes they think that we Christians have lost the plot, that we're disconnected from reality somehow, that we're all people in need who need God as our crutch in life, that we've all been somehow um, brainwashed, that somehow we are a little bit, there's a screw missing somewhere. That's why we go to church. And so those same people who don't believe in God find church a very uncomfortable place to be. They read the Bible and it's all just complete nonsense. They hear preachers preach and they just want to get out the room. They don't want to know. They see people worshipping and think, what is the matter with those people? I remember once, this is a true story, being in church and there was a, a man who used to come to, to, to the church. This is when I was a young boy growing up. And whenever worship took place, he would stand there with his arms folded and, and, and everyone was clapping and everybody was, you know, having a great time in worship, but he would stand there with his arms folded. Never, ever raised his arms or clapped in worship. Never. And then one day, and, and you know, a lovely man, a Christian, but no, I don't do that sort of thing, you know. And then one day we go along to a wedding. And do you know the birdie song? <laughs> and this man who will not raise his arms in church, will not clap in worship to God, he's away. <laughs> he's birdieing it. And he's up. And I'm thinking, I don't understand. The freedom that this man was displaying, maybe after a drink or so, I don't know. Um, so th there are these what I'm trying to say is that there's sometimes there's an attitude that, that people have because they don't know God, because they can't see God, they develop opinions about God and about Christians. And that's okay because some Christians, you need to have an opinion about them. But what happens to these same people? Oh, it's all rubbish. I don't want to know. That's crazy, you know. Then they come to a meeting or they 
meet a friend who tells them God loves them and for the first time in their life they believe. For the first time in their life they, they realize, actually, you know, there's probably something in this God thing. And they make a decision for Christ and they say, yeah, I want to I follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And a, a great friend of mine put, put a, um, a picture on Facebook this morning, Steve Hartman, of, of him and his wife, and, and they're just beautiful people. And, and I, I remember Steve Hartman, before he was a Christian, you know, he was a big drinker, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying, uh, a big drinker, and he was very anti. He was not anti us as people because he was a nice guy, he was respectful. But this Christianity was a load of bunkum, you know? And then he gets saved. He believes in Jesus. And he's one of the big worshippers. The big people of joy in your church. You know? He's telling everybody about this Jesus who loves you. Because Jesus loves him. And my question has to be, how do you go from anti, and it's all rubbish, and I don't understand any of it, to totally being overwhelmed by God's love and being transformed by who God is. That's because the day that he gave his life to Jesus, that life of the spirit that was cut off with Adam and Eve who chose to go after just the flesh and the mind, the spirit came back to life. And suddenly he could see as he was meant to see. And now he can see God. Now he can hear God. Now he can know the love of God for himself. You know, that's half of the trouble that most people have about God. They can't feel and know the love of God for themselves. And that's because we're trying to get it from our physical senses. We're trying to get it through our logic and understanding. But it comes through the Spirit. The Bible says that things that are of the Spirit, the natural man cannot get them, can't understand them. They are perceived in our spirit. The spirit that died in Adam came, came alive in Christ. So all who put their trust in Christ, the spirit comes alive. The full life of man ignites once again. Now I want to bring something to your attention here because I realized as I was preparing this that some Christians have, have probably been taught wrong. I think what we've kind of felt has been said over the years. And I don't think we've ever said it here, but I think people can think you've said it. I think people think sometimes when you become a Christian, all your problems will be solved. You know, if you're physically poorly and bad, then now you're a Christian, you're going to be well. If you were in debt, now you're a Christian, you're going to be rich. My, my experience of, of being born again isn't that God puts all those things right. He adds life to what already exists. So if you're thinking becoming a Christian is going to do this, this, this and this, what you're missing out on is what comes when you become a Christian. We're all focused on what changes, what gets fixed. But actually it's what comes when you become a Christian that changes how you see the world. 
Romans 8 verses 10 says, If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. What life is given to you and to me? A life that now can see and hear God. We didn't have that before. That's what comes when we become a Christian. See, if you think that becoming a Christian means everything's going to get resolved, that's not what it is. You've been made alive to God. Now you can know him. Now you can feel his love. Now you can be secure in him. Now you are fully alive as you was meant to be. You might still be sick. You might still be thick. I don't know whether that's the right word to use. You know? <laughs> you know? Being spiritual. But this is incredible. Because when you become a Christian, the spirit does not need your body and does not need your brain to operate. So there was a lady who used to come to the church who was not all there. Right? She, they, they gave her at one time kind of mental and physical issues. And they gave her one time one of those scooters, you know, to ride. She trashed the gardens at the last church we was at, just rode all over them. Couldn't drive. Not a chance. Couldn't have a proper conversation with her. But one day she came, she was sat on the front of the church, and she walked up to me after the meeting, and she said, Tim, I've just got to tell you, God loves you so much. That was not her. That was not her from her logic and reason and understanding. She can't drive a little... That was not her from her physical... It was like she's a Christian, God loves her, and that part of her was able to communicate. You should be saying amen to that, by the way. Because if you think you're something because of your brain and because of your body, you've missed it. You're something because the Spirit has been born again in you. And you're alive because of that. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. I want to close with a challenge. Science and indeed knowledge has failed badly to understand the spiritual dimension. And since the Bible puts it like this, God is spirit, maybe we don't understand God. I talk a lot about encounter and the presence of God in this church. But I'm well aware that we can try to make these encounters with God about our current level of knowledge and understanding or we can make them about our need. Why are we meeting with God? Well, because we've got something we've got, we need God to do. Or because we understand God works this way. I'm going to just challenge you right there. This is for those on Facebook and those who are here in this room. Psalm 8 verses 3 to 5 says this. When I consider the heavens, the works of your hands, the moons and the stars which you have put in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should visit him? This is not an encounter of us with God. This is God wanting an encounter of him with us. Encounter is his choice, not ours. Experiencing his presence is his desire, not ours. 
That's a bit of a shock to me. Because we come on a Tuesday night thinking that's our idea. We've come to wait on God, to spend some time with God. But God's going, actually, I've, I've made this plan. And why do, Because we think we've made the plan, then we've got the reasons. Then we've got what we want from it. But God says, I've made a plan. Can I ask you a simple question as I finish this morning? If God was planning to meet you in the middle of the night, during your dreams, on your way home in the car, here in this meeting, if God was planning to come and meet you, why would he be doing that? What would be his purpose? What has he got on his mind? What is it that he wants to do in you? Because if he's come to meet me, he's got something in mind. My problem is, I never know what he's got in mind because of what I've got in mind. This is what I, I want to meet with you for, God. To give me a vision, to give me a calling, to give me a healing, to give me... The, I've met with you for these reasons. And God says, well, actually, if you'd listen for a second, I'll tell you why I've come. Could we encounter God but leave our expectations, our needs, our very limited understanding to one side and let him breathe something into the dust? Could we let him breathe something into the dust? Because the spirit still gives life to dust. I'm aware life mainly for us is still connected very much with our flesh, our physical condition and our mental condition. To consider that there's life outside of those things, it's hard to comprehend. Maybe if I just left it with you like this. We're alive in our bodies, but they're not all working fully. I just sort of throw that in. We're alive in our soul and our emotions and our thoughts, but they're not all working properly either. But we can have life in our spirit. And that always knows how to work properly. That life has come to connect us with God himself. Absolutely why God sent Jesus for us. To bring us who were disconnected from him and reconnect us with him. Who is the source of a completely other dimension of life. Thank you very much for listening this morning. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you soon. And Tuesdays will be on. Take care. God bless you.